Over the next few minutes, you're going to see a video of Pastor Ralph West from the Church Without Walls, and we're going to watch just a portion of this sermon before our, our, our guests come up on stage. And uh, this is just to give us a little bit of, uh, of preparation for what our discussion is going to be about. So follow along, and then in just a few minutes, um, we'll rejoin our guests on stage, and we'll continue this conversation together. If you're on YouTube, I want you to know that we will be taking questions. Questions will be coming from Facebook Live. So jump over to Facebook Live if you want to leave a comment. That's what we're going to be following. Um, and then we'll continue to allow you to ask those questions or make comments um, throughout our time together. All right? Let's listen together. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. Let me express my genuine appreciation to everyone responsible for my being here on tonight. I've been encouraged by what I have heard and what I have witnessed. Now, if you're waiting on me to do what Charlie and Mason did, you <laughs> invited the wrong person. <clears throat> what a gathering of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reflecting with my son today and said to him that if no one joins this end quote, movement. There are enough of us here tonight, today and tomorrow, to make a difference in our communities. I'm committed to stand with you. We stand together to bring unity to reality. That's what my assignment was. It's been given to me to speak the church without walls. How can God use a unified church to, dis to serve our divided communities? I thought about that because most of us are conversant in some way or another with groups and individuals that have tried to usher in unity. My mind went back to Alexander the Great in 323 BC. He died after he had conquered the most visible empire in the world, Rome, and then drank itself to death. He held up an image of loving cups and it was the image that we could, in unity, drink together, that we could be one. But he died from a wine cup, and the world never experienced the unity cup. The 19th century, the 20th, and the 21st century have encountered people that have tried to usher in unity. In the 19th century, the Shakers 
this community of celibate people that worked shoulder to shoulder with the task, but because they were celibate, they died out. <laughs> and then at a lower level, we remember when Jim Jones led a community of people as a demonic influence to their own demise. And then David Koresh in a fiery end with his people. Or we think back in the days when we had to study church history and we remember the Qumran community and we had to study the monastic community of Catholicism or not so long ago, the hippie movement of the 60s. Now the Qumran community, you just go and see its relics by the Dead Sea and that community of monks, they fight over the very terra firma under the basilica where Jesus was supposed to have been crucified and resurrected. That's a mess. Hippies have turned in their beetles for RVs and now their grandparents and great-grandparents. And every movement that we look at in past, none have been able to bring about unity. So the question was asked to me, Ralph, the church without walls, how can God use a unified church to serve our divided communities? An illustration for geometry might help tonight. Two points coming to a central focus by the very law of geometry can't get to the center without the two points getting closer together. If Christ is our center and we're drawn close to him, we had better get close if we're going to make it to the center. So for the third time I was asked, Pastor West, because that's what I am, a pastor, how can God use the unified church? So allow me to offer up two or three or four suggestions. The first is pray for unity. Doesn't sound that weighty. But unity is donated by God and so we have to pray for unity. It can't be manufactured are fabricated or organized, so you have to pray that God give us unity. In John chapter 17, Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry. And the final petitionary ministry that he has before his disciples is that he's going to pray a prayer. And the entire focus of that prayer hangs on one phrase of petition. Lord, that you might make them one. 
as the Father and the Son are one, that you would make them one. That was his prayer. He would pray this prayer before his very disciples. And he would pray that prayer because there were some other things I assume he could have prayed if he wanted to pray. See, the time of the prayer was Thursday night. The place of the prayer, some have suggested that he entered into maybe the temple because at Passover, this was the one time that the gates would be open all night. And some say that he went into that temple and he prayed the high priestly prayer. In the first five verses, he would pray for himself. Then verses 6 through 19, he would pray for the immediate 11. And then in verse 20 through 26, he would pray for the believers to come. That would be you and me. He looked into the future and he saw that we would be in Memphis, Tennessee tonight. And he prayed of all the things that we might be one. When Jesus prayed that prayer of oneness, I can only imagine he's looking at the 11 and he looks out and he sees in the face of Peter. But behind Peter, he sees Pentecost and he sees John. But behind John, he sees Europe and Asia Minor. And then there's a gap in the circle that's been broken by Judas Iscariot. And he looks and the face of Paul appears. And behind him, he sees the churches across the Mediterranean and he sees the churches of Europe and Africa and he prays, Lord, that they might be one. <laughs> Jesus could have prayed a lot of things that night because he was working with a motley crew. Sometimes we read through the scriptures so fast we miss the beauty of it. Look at what he's working with that he's going to entrust the future church in the hands of his disciples. These are people, typically, we would say to our daughters, do not bring to my house. <laughs> you got James and John, the thunderstorm brothers. They're ready to call down fire on a whole community of people. You got a betrayer, you got a doubter, and a disbeliever, a denier. But when you talk about race matters, you got Matthew the publican who is sold out to the Roman Empire as a tax collector. This would be the equivalent of someone in World War II that is a Jew working on the side of the Nazi, and they would call him a quizler. But not just Matthew the publican, you got Simon the zealot an insurrectionist who has made a vow that he would kill every public. And can you remember how much Jesus had to say, enough, man, enough. But Jesus could have prayed also because he's looking at his death in full tilt. And nobody would have blamed him if he would have prayed, Lord, not the whips, not the crown, not the nails, not the pain. He would have had every right to say that. And yet, what he prays is that you and I 
would be one. Let me just say one thing about that. Unity is not achieved. It's a gift granted by God. Tonight we're going to come to this altar and we're going to gather and we're going to pray and we're going to weep and we're going to cry and we're going to confess. But Bonhoeffer says, and that I agree, confession without repentance is cheap grace. And repentance is not, I just feel bad about something. It's changing our mind to make a decision to do something. And so tonight we ought to do something. And that is take the words of Jesus serious. And that is simply to say, I will pray for unity. Pastor West how can God use the church to serve our divided communities? It's not just unity is donated by God, but it's demonstrated by the church. You come to Acts chapter 2 and 4, you see these beautiful pictures of oneness where the church is working together. They use this great word that we throw around, koinonia, for fellowship. And I had to tell some people once, fellowship doesn't mean that it's some fellows in a ship. They had all things common, and the commonality was the person of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't take long for unity to be disunified. You come to chapter 5, and you see the intrusion of disunity. And then chapter 6, this is where you start seeing racial divide, isn't it? But the Hebrew women are complaining about the Hellenist women, and now you got a problem on your hand. And then you look through the scriptures and she, you see all these places in Acts where the gospel is trying to break free. You see where the gospel, and when you read Acts and you get to the last chapter, the last verse, you know it ends in an adverb, unhinderedly. And it implies that the gospel is breaking through every kind of barrier. It breaks through the social and the cultural barrier, race and disability. It breaks through every false taboo. And then it breaks through every unheard of barrier. And so walls are built up. And walls have a way of dividing us and separating us and pushing us aside. One of my favorite poets is Robert Frost, and he wrote Mending Wall, and he tells the story from the narrator's perspective that he saw his neighbor, and they would, at the spring, walk on the different sides of the fence so that they would clean up their spaces. And one day the narrator suggested to the neighbor, you know, we do this every year. Why don't we just tear down the, the walls? I mean, why separate us? I mean, there are no cows to get out the yard and nobody's animal is damaging anybody else's uh, field. And the neighbor makes a great statement. He just simply says, good fences make good neighbors. The narrator tries to persuade him to say, look, you need to move away from this antiquated way of living, but he goes back to the adage and simply says, good fences make good neighbors.
I'm in Ephesians 2.14 now. Where Paul talks about the wall coming down. That God is our peace and that he has made two one. And he has disabled the wall of hostility. And he has brought that wall down. Now, there are walls that need to come down in our communities. It doesn't matter what side of the political bench you sit on. I'm not being political at this moment. It's just an observation. It doesn't matter what color, culture, ethnicity you are. There are walls that need to come down. Every human being deserves fairness and equality and justice. Everyone. And there are walls that come down. You can pray unity, but then you have to work unity by demonstrating what unity really looks like. You remember that day we all cheered. June 12, 1987, Ronald Reagan says to Mikhail Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And we cheered. That wall came down. Government tore down that wall. But more than that, the young people of that community tore that wall down. And you and I have a right to dismantle some walls in our own culture, in our own communities, to tear down some walls. In Ephesians, there's the religious wall that needs to come down, but then there's the racial wall that needs to come down. And it's demonstrated through the unity of the church that we bring these walls down. There's a third thing that I want to say. That unity is distributed by individuals. Have you ever noticed that nothing great ever happens in mass movements? See, the challenge tonight is, once we finish here, the goal is, is to uh, get together, let's write a dissertation, let's have a doctoral ministry project, man, let's have a master's thesis, let's have a brick group and rally. You want to kill something great, turn it into a mass project. Change happens one individual at a time. Now, I know what you're saying, but Wes, we're all here gathered together. Yes, we are. And we're all together one individual at a time. We'll go back to our places one at a time. One vote, one registration, one kind act, one benevolent gesture, one act at a time. People are always looking for something huge to do. You could just start with being nice. Well, welcome back. We're glad that you have joined us um, and you're staying with us. We're going to be doing something a little different today. Uh, and we've got, we've got a full stage of friends that are going to be with us. And uh, we have another friend, uh, Pete Cooper, who is not on stage with us. 
And uh, Pete, are you are you there? I'm here. Glad to see all of you. We're glad that Pete's with us too. We're going to go back and forth. He's he's still quarantining at home, and uh, and so we want to have an opportunity for him to take part in the conversation as well. Uh, you know, some of our friends have been here with us before. Uh, this is Pam and Oliver Richmond. Oliver is the director of, I guess director is the right, right title. It's pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> of Kingdom Partners that has, is, has been working for several years just to help churches and uh, increasingly in the past few years to bring churches together, working for unity and having uh, churches just partnering together. So uh, we're excited for them to be with us today. Jefferson, I don't know what your title is. You're you're like the retired wise man, I think, um, <laughs> who's traveled the world and uh, is, in, is enjoying working out his retirement. <laughs> and so uh, we're excited to have Jefferson here with us, had a long career in international sales and in, uh, in chemicals, and uh, so we're glad to have him with us as well. Uh, Pete, who's joining us remotely, uh, has been in Chattanooga most of his life and is retired also. Uh, and I believe you were the director of the Chattanooga Community Foundation. Is that right? That's that, is that the right? Uh, the Community Correct. Foundation of Greater Chattanooga. Um, and right. he's been retired since 2015 and, and continues to consult with uh, different nonprofits and uh, churches. Um, and then Steve Ryder, who is with us, has been around the world as well and uh, has been in all kinds of different roles in the corporate and executive world, in the nonprofit world, including uh, the, the being a, I'm not sure, I can't remember what your position was with GE, correct? You were with GE? I was with GE president. Okay, so with, with GE, and then uh, he was the director of Precept Ministries here in town for, um, for a few years, and uh, he is now, has his own organization, which I'm sure he'll share some about that, um, and has been working with Kingdom Partners for some time. Uh, he and Peter both, I believe, are on your advisory board. Is that right? No? He's the behind-the-scenes advisor, and Steve's <laughs> on the advisory board. Okay, I got it. I got it. I'll get it all right. We're just one big happy family. It doesn't really matter. There's an awful lot of people you know? up here that have done an awful lot of things in an awful lot of places. So, But we're really honored to have each of you here. And, uh, Oliver, I'll turn it over to you to kind of kick things off. I'm going to try to tell a couple jokes. Um, I don't know if they're funny or not, but hopefully it'll loose everybody up. Okay, now you normally if you see the police officers, you get nervous, you put your hands on the wheel, you look forward. So Jefferson and I were relaxing a few weeks ago and had a couple glasses of wine. We're heading home. For some reason, Jefferson blows at the sheriff guy. I said, Jefferson, what are you doing? He said, I always do that. And so we're heading down this road, and the road says 35. He's doing 45. I said, please slow down, Jefferson. We're going to get arrested. And he said, oh, we're okay. So we're dealing some strange times where the guy blows at the sheriff, and then he's speeding and said, we're okay. The, the other thing is uh, <laughs> we have a, a coach named Dr. Larry Lloyd out of Memphis, who's been doing urban ministry for 40 years. I mean, he really loved urban community. Uh, he's been highly successful in helping organizations work together across business, government, faith-based. 
And so I was telling one of my black pastor friends about Dr. Larry. I said, man, he's just a wealth of knowledge. He's helping us. He's going to do board training. And so we just kept talking and talking. And then somehow it came up, came up. Dr. Larry Lori is a Presbyterian. He's a white guy. He said, oh, Oliver, I did not know Larry was a white guy. You did not tell me. And so it's just funny to me how the Lord uses things and a sense of humor where we have a white Presbyterian minister who's teaching us how to do urban ministry. So that, that goes back to the unity of who you are. It's not about race and color. It's about common things that you can do. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Pete and uh, Steve before they talk. Pete is a very humble guy. I met him six years ago. I was working on doing some things in the community, asked him to support me. Uh, he's president of the community foundation. Actually, he's the one who built the community foundation from 20-some years ago. They've donated hundreds of millions of dollars back to the community to help. Anytime there's something going on in the community, Pete is somewhere around there. You might not see his name. You might not see his picture. But he's somewhere around there helping the community get things done. And I just appreciate him spending the time and being an advisor to to me. I asked him on the board. He said, I'm coming off a of board. But he said, I'll be there. And he's held up to his word. When I send him documents or call, he responds back. So he's very humble. Uh, when Mark asked us to come on, I said, can I bring a couple of my friends? And what I wanted people to see today was you have a black guy, a Jewish guy, and a white guy. We have different beliefs, different things, but we found the common ground in Jesus, keeping that at the center but we work together. We don't let our preferences or other things keep us from working together. Now, Steve's a very humble guy. I met him about three years ago. He's worked for Ross Parole. Jack Wells been very successful in the corporate America. Uh, and he actually took his time out of his retirement to work with us to help us bring people together. So I'm going to turn it back over to Pete. And, Pete, we're going to let you go ahead and do your speaking. All right, thank you. I, I appreciate this invitation. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to give you start with just a little background. Um, I grew up in North Chattanooga, went to public schools, graduated from City High School, um, got married in 1973, um, and our first child was born, I think, uh, three years after we got married, uh, and then the next four years, we had three children. So we had, at one point in time, three under the age of four. I wouldn't really recommend that. Um, and after they got a little bit older, <clears throat> my wife, who's an angel, decided that we should try uh, to be foster parents. And so for a large number of years, um, <clears throat> we were foster parents. Um, well, one, we both fell in love with one, uh, young, uh, black boy, um, and, um, kind of challenged the establishment to, uh, adopt him. Um, they <clears throat> didn't allow cross racial adoptions at the time. So about 25 years ago, we adopted uh, a two-year-old boy 
Um, and boy, have we gotten education. Um, it's It uh, opened my eyes to how isolated I was when I grew up, how uh, unknowledgeable I was growing up. Um, I never had a, a black classmate in school until I got to college. I never had a black teacher in school until I got to college. Uh, my contacts with people of color was confined to the janitor at the school and the uh, cafeteria help. So I was pretty, pretty naive. I was beyond naive. I was basically stupid. And um, I had to learn an awful lot. If I was going to protect my son from people like me, uh, I had to learn a lot. And that was not an experience that um, I'd had before. Then I read a book one time uh, called uh, How Tough People how Good People Make Tough Decisions by Rushworth Kidder. And the premise of this book is that on in most situations, people who have a disagreement um, have some right on their side. And the problem with disagreements these days is that we try we don't try to see the right on the other side of the argument. And this makes for divisions when to, to win the argument, you have to prove the other person wrong. So one of the lessons I learned in life was that to be right, you don't have to prove the other person wrong because they actually may be right all uh, this was somewhat affirmed in the uh, reconciliation uh, hearings in South Africa when one of the uh, gentlemen heading the reconciliation hearing said that the definition of reconciliation isn't to fix everything. It's where you get to the point where you can express the view accurately of the person on the other side of the relationship. And, you know, that's kind of where, that's where I think we need to be going. You know, one of, one of my other more recent understandings is that the Christian church is a, by definition, a communal church. Uh, it's tough to be a Christian in isolation. Now, that's almost un-American in the fact that America was built on individualism. And we pride ourselves in being individuals and having individual rights, et cetera, et cetera. But when you take the baptismal vows for the Christian church, you agree to become part of the body of Christ. And as such, a member that treats the other members according to the scriptures. The most memorable one, of course, is love your neighbor. 
Um, so we've got in one case a culture that talks about individualism and keeping your own personal rights and, you know, not necessarily worried about communal rights. And then you've got a faith that talks about community and unity and reconciliation and forgiveness. And, you know, that's a pretty stark contrast right now. So I've, I've gone from being um, a really isolated white kid in North Chattanooga to a point where I'm beginning to understand that we really are all in this together. And if one of us is hurting, all of us should be hurting. And until we're all free, none of us are free. And that's what the gospel calls us to do. You know, the, one of the challenges of the gospel is that we're supposed to love the unlovable and forgive the unforgivable. Um, and that's, that's difficult these days. Um, but it's always been difficult. Um, you know, but the, the good news of the gospel is that God is infinitely more interested in our future than in our past. We can become new and do things better in the future than we have in the past. And I'm committed to that. And uh, that's what I'm working on in retirement. So those are my comments. I welcome your questions uh, during the question and answer session. Thank you. Well, let me thank uh, Pastor Bonk and Scott for the gracious invitation to join with my brothers, this godly congregation, and friends at the Jimmy Church. In preparation for this morning, I viewed those brothers who came before us, Pastor Brand, uh, Pastor Barnes, and Paul Lee, to get a gander of what you had heard. You know, we all came from different backgrounds. Yet, we're led to this place to share our hearts with you. While we represent a spectrum of diverse thoughts, with me being a constitutional conservative Christian, yet I know that I love each man and that each man we spoke about so far loves Jesus. And someday, we will get to spend eternity in heaven with one another. Yet, with that said, I also give glory for the work being done in Kingdom Partners and other efforts to make this a great city. We have all put our shoulders up against the plowshare to represent the gospel, including respect and love for one another. Back in the late 1970s, when the Hound of Heaven was on my heels, I heard words from a book that I never wanted to open, the New Testament. In John 13... Verses 34 and 35, Jesus spoke directly to his followers, saying, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everybody will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. These words were spoken by the Lord, who was celebrating the Jewish feast of Passover. It was his last supper, knowing he was about to face a trial, and crucifixion. A bit later that evening, in John 15, 11 to 14, Jesus says, 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none other than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. While I am a Jew, I never converted. No, I accepted the promises of the coming of the Messiah in each of the 336 prophecies foretelling his coming, his death, and his resurrection in what we call the Old Testament. In 1977, I uttered the words from Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I dedicated my eternal soul to rest in Jesus. In Hebrew, Yeshua HaMasiach. He's the Messiah, the Christ. Those words penetrated my heart in such a powerful way, shattering my fear and loathing for those who actually murdered members of my family. And even today, in 2020, 35% of Jews in our nation report that they have been victims of anti-Semitism in the last five years. Nine out of ten fear violence. During my business career, I did travel around the globe with staff in 17 different time zones. I learned every person is created by the holy hands of the master carpenter, each being the sons and daughters of the king of kings. Though we are created with differences, whether skin coloration, ethnic origin, denomination, height, weight, or religion to separate us, I fear we are at a process of creating another stain on our land under the guise of race that will fracture us once again. There are forces which would divide us rather than have us embrace the teachings of the Lord. Using identity politics, people, many well-intentioned, would take us into the pit, creating once again hatred and persecution against his brother or sister based on pigmentation. In America right now, every group feels this way to some extent. Whites, blacks, Latinos, Asians, men, women, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, liberals or conservatives, all feel their group is being attacked, bullied, persecuted, discriminated against. Of course, one group's claims to feel threatened and voiceless are often met by another group's derision because it discounts their own feelings of persecution. But such is political tribalism. I am old enough to have marched with those supporting civil rights 50 years ago. Yet the dominant voices expressing group transcending, framed in the language of national unity, love of this country, and equal opportunity for all. Dr. Martin Luther King, knowing that many of those who we call fathers of our nations were wealthy, some were slave owners, he still proclaimed these amazing words. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was the fall heir. 
this note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Gentle people, since the death of George Floyd, we have witnessed a breaking of the spirit of that message. As we retreated willingly into our safe havens, yelling at each other, oftentimes using social media, Dr. King's message captured the imagination and hearts of our nation, leading to real change, transcending group divides, and called for an America in which skin color does not matter. Yet today, we recognize the U.S. is radically different than the America of 1968 when Dr. King was assassinated. We are still battling the racial divides at a time when we had only 170 million citizens in our nation, 11% black, 88% white. This January, by survey, we had 330 million Americans in our nation, 62% white, 13% black, 18% Hispanic, and 6% Asian. In our nation, just about 14% of 45 million people were actually born in a foreign land, migrating here from all over the world. 47% Hispanic, 26% Asian, 9% black, and 20% white. Since 1970, 2 million Africans came legally to the United States, with another 10 million now seeking to migrate. In fact, the average income of these citizens from Africa is greater than the average white income. There is reason they came. It was the call of liberty and freedom nowhere else found on the face of the earth. Whether today or 50 years ago, when I was a Kropotkin-style anarchist, it breaks my heart to see news reports of a black child being shot to death, just like last night in Chicago. Now. We lost the sound. I don't know what happened. They're appropriately spaced on stage. I probably could have done this. Jefferson's wearing a mask.
There are many across the globe, including nation states, terrorists, and wicked people who are envious of what this great experiment in democracy has succeeded in accomplishing, wishing us to fail and fall. This indeed would be a great disaster as the forces of darkness no longer stymied by those who believe in liberty and freedom take over. A sobering thought, if we do not unite, come together as brothers and sisters, all of us as Americans, every person present in this room and on this broadcast will face a Holocaust as we've never seen in the world of human history. Therefore, I ask you to pray with me in the great words of Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, thank, thank you, Steve and Pete. So we have been on a bit of a journey here. No pun intended. <laughs> but we have been on a bit of a journey here through the topics. Uh, we started with Pastor Brand, who did a history of race. And, uh, and then we moved into how do we understand race in the context of the gospel? Uh, and how, how, you know, talking about loving one another and not expecting everyone to be exactly like everybody else. That there is beauty in diversity. There's beauty in, you know, that we don't have to all look, talk, act, worship the exact same way. There's, that's part of God's intention for us. Um, and then, so last week we, we had Paul with us that talked just about the other side of what we're seeing in the news, what's going on with our police officers, what's going, what, what are some of our challenges here, what are their challenges, and how do we love our police, and how do we understand uh, the gospel in the arena of policing. All of it has been and a goal to move towards the the context of it as we look and watch the news or social media it almost feels like there's no hope <laughs> the um the and and Steve you pointed it out and Pete pointed it out the uh just kind of vitriol towards each other um where you have to pick a side you have to pick a side, but as the church, there, there's always another side, right? right? There's always another place in which we are part of the world, but we are not also part of the world. We're also part of the kingdom that is different from the world. So I'd love for this conversation to be an opportunity for you to share whatever you would like about anything we've talked about over these last three weeks, four weeks, but also be pushing specifically in the area of, so where do we go from here? How do we how do we begin to experience a move towards unity? And you even, Oliver, hopped on our first week, and you were you were putting some sermon points in there. I don't know what you call them. I call them <laughs> sermon points um, that you were talking about unity. Uh, I would love for you all just to talk through some of that, Oliver. If you have some things you you guys would like to, you would like for these uh, men and women to talk about, you can bring that up as well but how do we how do we move forward from here well i, I think um like I, said, I, I thank god for everybody up here my wife who's our spiritual advisor jefferson senior advisor scott and mark um pete steve it's probably a group of 50 or 60 of us 
who have really put the effort in to be unified. Uh, devotion calls with relationships, with lunches, with meetings, with checking on each other. So there's all kinds of things pulling us apart. But if you don't have a group like Kingdom Partners or somebody, the, the platform where you can try to meet and build relationships. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. Pam likes soul food. I like seafood. But that doesn't keep us from going out to eat or being married. We just alternate when we go places. So, so, so where'd you go for your anniversary? I've got to ask. Where'd you wind up at? I want to know. Where, where'd we go? I don't even remember. Was it, I think it was Red Lobster. I think that's what he told me. I just wanted to ask. Maybe, maybe, maybe not remembering. It's a real good question. <laughs> or really bad. It, 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 it is. It's good because... We remember bad things. That's true. Right. That's, yeah. that's, we, we, that's we remember trauma, so that must have been a good time. <laughs> yeah. so, so when I think about what you guys did down in Miller, what you did, having pastors swapping pulpits, getting your leaders together, potlucks, if Jesus changed the world with 12, just imagine what we can do if we stay together or work together. We need to demonstrate it to the community, to other believers and not focus on all the things that's trying to divide us. That's going to come naturally. I mean, you, you like football. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. So I, I can't stand Philadelphia, uh, Redskins. All those teams divide me against my friends when it's time to play the game. You know, and sometimes we say things we shouldn't say just because we're on separate sides. So I, I'm hopeful just seeing where we started with you, with the senior pastors, the efforts you guys have put in to build those relationships. Now we just need to expand it out, bring more people to the table, show them the model, show them the work you put in, and let them know it's a commitment. It's going to take work, time, and energy for us to be unified. But I just believe the church is the only one that has the answer to us being reconciled uh, to Jesus, to each other, loving thy neighbor, we don't even have the answer. Other ones can't do it. They can try. They tried all kinds of things. It won't last. And most of the stuff you see on TV, more than likely those are not believers. They need Christ. Um, so that's what I'm going to say on that point. And it takes work to get to know each other too, doesn't it? I oh, mean, it oh, takes yes. a while. You, you can't do that just by observing online or having social media, you know, content and, and going back and forth on there. You don't really get to know somebody until you do the things like we've been doing, the potlucks, the sitting down together, which is COVID, unfortunately, has put a hold on some of that. But that's how we've all gotten to know each other is in those casual environments and going to lunches together and those sort of things. And I think that's that's the way everybody moves forward. I, I believe also that we have been brought together to this place called Chattanooga. We have people from even from Indiana who show up here, <laughs> even from New York who are here. And then we have Jefferson. But from, from Carolina, from Greensboro. Car exactly. It doesn't matter. But we've been brought here, I believe, for a reason, that we can be that city on the hill that makes a difference, that we can exhibit by loving one another. You know, it says we're known by our love for one another. If we can display that and show it for real, I think we can make a difference, not only in our community, but in other cities around this nation, rather than tear ourselves apart, we can hug one another when it the uh, corona lifts. Let me get my red bracelet out. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but we can by showing 
in reality who and what we are and that we really do care for you because you're my brother and you're my sister. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we did have a couple of questions early on. This The first one Let was... Let me do this. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Jefferson. Yes. We have a church, basically. Jefferson, hold that mic a little bit closer. We go. have a church, basically, uh, on every block or every four blocks here in our city and mostly in all the cities around. And we believe that those churches are very close to the people and can really look out for their neighbors. We believe that they can also carry a message. We believe that they can live the life of a Christian and demonstrate how to live as a Christian. And as they serve their communities, they can reach out to the underserved and they can help the underserved. And we believe if they do that wholeheartedly, the underserved get to know them, and the Christian community will grow. In addition to that, we believe that knowing ministers knowing each other is a way of sharing information and sharing thoughts, solutions, and working together. It is the foundation for working together. And that foundation is step one. And step one is just like when you see a baby looking up the stairs. And he wants to get to the top and he's still crawling around. He does one step at a time. And when we reach out to one person, Okay. Are we back up? Okay. All right. So if you're joining us now, then we, we, our software crashed. And, uh, and so we're starting a different stream. Um, and so I, you know, Pete, if you're still with us here, um, so you shared that a number of years ago as you were, um, you were fostering and hope and looking to adopt. Yeah, somebody, somebody text Pete. Um, one of the questions that we had, here he is, here he is. 
I can't hear you. All right. Can you can you hear me now? Okay. So here's my question for you, Pete. You mentioned a few years ago when you were fostering, you were looking for an opportunity to adopt um, a black child, and yet that was not at the time acceptable or allowable. I'd love to hear more about that, what you had to go through in that process, what you learned in that process. Um, what was that like for you, for your, for your family? Well, I guess I'd have to say, first of all, that it was a uh, crash course, education crash course in race relations. Uh, we were strongly supported by uh, people of color. Uh, the criticisms came from probably almost exclusively the white community. Um, we had to, I guess my biggest fear was was learning enough about how black kids are raised to be able to prepare my son for the challenge of understanding both the black and white cultures while I only stood understood the white cultures um that was um stressful um seemed to work i mean 25 years later, he's still talking to us. So um, it it also, I mean, I now understand concepts like driving while black. Um, we had one situation where he went in for a job interview for a summer job. And the first question they asked him was, who was, their, who was his social worker? Um, that never happened to any of my white children. Um, so we became pretty, uh, aware of all the literally hundreds of ways that he was challenged that, uh, uh, our white children weren't. Um, we had an incident at a local large hospital where, um, they didn't even bothered to ask if he had insurance. They assumed that he didn't. And his treatment was, let's say, not only less than superior, it was medical malpractice. Um, never happened to any of our white children. So it's, it's, been, um, it's been an educational process for us. And in that process, we've had to understand how Poverty and racism are so intertwined. Um, it's a it's a very complicated deal, but uh, there's an awful lot of, of systemic racism uh, that has resulted in uh, major inequalities in both uh, income and assets. And uh, I read the other day that the Average net worth of white families in the United States is $171,000, and the average net worth of black families in the United States is $17,000. And a good portion of that very large discrepancy is equity in, in houses 
Um, so there's just an awful lot uh, in the poverty area that you need to understand to understand how our our brothers of color are discriminated against and challenged and um, why why we all need to be really informed and uh, an activist on this. Yeah, Pete, I got a question. I, I know you had talked about 30 years ago you co-chaired uh, Reconciliation Committee across the city. Where do you see the church, the faith-based community going from here? It seems like the Lord has opened people's hearts to want to work together. What do you see things that need to be done to really accelerate and move to a better community and loving each other, getting to know each other and working together? Well, I guess the first thing I'd say is the church is perhaps the only organization in town that cuts across all races, all geographies, uh, all denominations, etc. I mean, every, everybody in our community is at some point in time in contact with the church. I don't know when any other organization in town that does that. So. I think church really is the vehicle to pull this apart. Um, if you ask me where you go from here, while the church is a communal experiment, um, I forget who said it, but it really comes down to relationships. Um, you know, if, if all your friends are white, or all your friends are black, or if all your friends are whatever, um, you know, look at, changing those things you know who do you invite for thanksgiving dinner uh you know who goes on vacation with you but you've also got the opportunity if you sit on a nonprofit board to make sure that that nonprofit board is just uh that it that the folks that are being served by the nonprofit are represented adequately on the staff and on the board um I mean, there there are literally hundreds. Uh, last time I saw, it was like nine hundred and twenty-five nonprofits in this city, all of which have staff and boards, and everybody. And so we're talking about you know thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. If everybody on those nonprofits were really focused on the issues of liberty and justice. Uh, being anti-racist, uh, we could we could make an enormous impact uh, just w- without changing any structures, without changing, without inventing anything, without starting new nonprofits. We could just we could just absolutely change the culture of this city. That's a great answer from from Pete. Uh, kind of goes along with one of the questions we have here is, Vicki Murphy asks, what systematic issues should the church be focusing on at this time in order to bring about unity? That's a good question. I think, think Pete covered a little bit of that there in that we as Christians have influence all over the city. We can influence boards at different places. We can influence different ministries. 
is there anything for the church to do besides being unified behind Christ? How do, how do we proceed forward with that? Pam, you have uh, any thoughts on that? What what make maybe for you? What makes it feel like the church is making progress, or Christians in general are making progress in this conversation? Um. Well, the thing about the joy. Floyd thing, it, it's not the first, okay? It's it's one of many. Um, and so with Kingdom Partners, we had started this Unite Together with African-American churches, with uh, Latino churches, with white churches coming together as one, um, fellowshipping together. Um, your way of fellowshipping is not the same as ours. Your worshiping service is not the same. So coming together on common ground because Jesus is, he says, we are the light of the world. Um, and so when we look at Psalms 1, it talks about not being a part of the wicked. And not being a part of the wicked also means not turning an eye, turning away from the wrong, like not looking away as if it's not happening. So I think the church, we, it's funny how this all just kind of came together because it was happening before we were coming together. And it's like God knew what was about to happen. And so we were already there. This is not new to us. Um, the pandemic stopped a lot of it, but this is not new to us coming together. And so the great piece of that is that we're working together and people are seeing that. And there are some churches that are afraid to do this. Um, I'm sure you've had many comments that they may not agree with what you're doing. Um, but see, God, he says the truth. When you are living by the truth, when you're walking by the truth, you'll be honored for that. Yeah, you're going to be beat up. You're going to be talked about. You're going to lose some members. You're going to lose some friends. But God says he's going to take care of those that walk in the truth. And so you, I, I, I just pray that you continue to stand in the truth, all of us, um, because it is tough. Um, but it's probably more tough for you than it is for me um, because um, a lot of people don't get where the Bible says there is one race. Mm-hmm. How how can you believe as a Christian, you go to church and you believe in God and I go to church and I believe in God, but for somewhere there's a disconnect as if there's a different God for me and a different God for you. And that's not true. We all supposed to be one race. Mm-hmm. We all came from one man, Adam. Yeah, I want to discuss the color. Y'all go right ahead. But I know <laughs> that we all came from Adam. And so because we are one race, that's what God is looking for. He's looking for us to come together together. He says he's not going to heal this land <laughs> until we till we turn from our wicked ways. Mm-hmm. He's not talking about the folks yes. that, not, that don't know him, that don't recognize him, that do not mm-hmm. believe in him. Mm-hmm. He's talking about us mm-hmm. that say that we walk in truth. And so truth is all truth. And when he says we're one race, we're one race. Mm-hmm. And so we got to quit the dividing part and come together. And when I listen to um, Mr. Pete, when he talks about the things he had to learn, because he chose, he didn't have to adopt the black child, but he chose to do that. And when he chose to do that, he didn't know all the revocations that was going to come with it. And so he said he had to learn how to protect his son. Mm. Imagine that. And so when you hear people like that, you, you do understand that there is a dividing, that, that, that we are divided, that we are treated different, um, that, we are, that we have a lot of things that we have to deal with. Um, we are afraid for our black sons. 
um, I'm sure you probably heard my brother mention about just jogging in the neighborhood and it starts to rain. So his son puts the, the hoodie over his head and he said, no, son, you have to take that off. And he's like, dad, my head's going to get wet. I'm catch cold. You know, got to take your head off until we get home. Why? So those are the things that we're dealing with. And the church, we're going to win. I'm, I'm not going to keep talking, but we're going to win. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because the Lord, the Lord, he has the last say, and his word is truth, and his his word is love. He said, we got to love one another. Yeah. How can you be loving one another? How can you love me? Mm-hmm. The first time I was invited to um, a, a white family to have dinner with them, I was real scared. It was Steve and Miss Mary, and I was terrified to go. Like, I had never been invited. I didn't know what to expect. And I, I'm like, I'm going to be, I, 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 I'm, I'm, we're going to be okay with this, you know. But because they invited us was the first step. And because we went was also the first step. And we was treated like we were their children. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's what it is. It's not being, don't be afraid of me. Do not be, you have nothing mm. to be afraid of. Um, yes, all people have done wrong, okay. But you cannot, you cannot pinpoint all black people are wrong. You cannot pinpoint all white people or all Asian people or all Latino people are wrong. You know, I have Latino friends. I have Japanese, Chinese friends. I have friends that worship Buddha. And I'm, I'm steadily, every time something <laughs> happens and they say pray for me, I'm steadily sending them the word of God. That's right. So we, we, we can do this. Yeah. You know, and that is just that simple um, just spend time getting to know people. Mm-hmm. Befriend people. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful, and yet in our culture, it feels so hard and mm-hmm. complicated. Mm-hmm. Like I have to 100% understand how to act the way you want me to act or you'll feel comfortable with me mm-hmm. acting. Or, or or Not only that, I have to 100% agree with everything you ever say. And yeah. that's, that's not the way. Does that work between husbands and wives at home? Mm-hmm. It doesn't in our house. Yeah. Y'all always 100% agree on everything? <laughs> You're actually practicing Judaism by that, where iron sharpens iron. Because yeah. I will tell you, when you have two Jews, you get three opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is a form of learning. As we studied the Talmud, we actually argued with one another. But at the end of the day, don't ever get between them and argue with them, okay? Because we've got to learn that we all have differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, I am touched by the fact that Pam has referenced not only here but at other times, and it actually brings tears to my eyes about the fact that we have so segregated ourselves that there could be fear mm-hmm. to be in someone else's house. You know, I was raised in Brooklyn, New York, and it was a multi-ethnic situation. And being Jewish in a predominantly Christian world, that's where my fear was. Where my, you know, my grandmother, literally at the age of eight, watched as her brother, three years older than her, was literally targeted for the crime of being Jewish. This was in Belarus, right outside of Minsk. And they grabbed a stake out of the ground that divides property, and they were going to kill him. So my grandmother witnessed her mom protecting her son. And what happened? They both were impaled and murdered in front of her eyes. Mm-hmm. And it created fear. So if I have fear of anyone, it is of Christians because, will they turn on me. Mm-hmm. But I know that the word talks about that God is love and that he died for all of us, mm-hmm. regardless who we are and what we represent. Mm-hmm. We've got to break this cycle. And this generation, 
and listen to me, people. The fact is I'm almost desperate. I'm 68 years old. We had hoped 50, 60 years ago that we would not have these conversations today, okay? But we are seeing such a stirring going on of division. If we spent a quarter of the effort loving on one another, that we spend uh, aggregated or aggravated with one another, we would not pass it on to our grandchildren. Absolutely. And what a legacy do we want to pass on? Right. Oh, that's good. That's yeah, good. Yeah, and I think, you know, Pete alluded to that a minute ago, is, is getting in those places that we have influence and seeing liberty and justice truly for all mm-hmm. so that everyone is treated fairly. And that's all of our jobs, no matter mm-hmm. where we're at, what what we do vocationally, where we go to church, we can all participate in that equally and, and make sure when we see things that aren't right that we speak out on them, no matter who they are for or against. Right, right. Well, so... A, a couple of thoughts, and then I think maybe what we do, because we've been talking for a while now, maybe we do some kind of final thoughts around, just across the room, and that is that the church is in an identity crisis mm-hmm. because we have accepted a gospel that's not the real gospel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that gospel being uh, Jesus died on the cross so that I could pursue happiness me and guarantee it Mm-mm. that's not the gospel Mm-mm. and so in that that individualism that we had it so we had a conversation with your brother pastor barnes mm-hmm. it's pam's uh brother mm-hmm. we had a conversation about especially even you know racially like white folk we are highly individualistic and so both both pastor brand and pastor barnes talked about kind of the collective they didn't use collective soul, but kind of the collective soul of the African-American community that when so, even if you don't know somebody, you feel, you feel it. We don't do that. Mm-mm. We don't no. do that. It's like, ah, well, how'd you get in that situation? You shouldn't have done that. All right, I got to go uh, do something else. You know, we, we don't have that necessary feeling of, of collectivism, <coughs> and yet that is what, and I can't remember who said that, Steve or Pete or somebody said, that, that was... That's the body of Christ. We're no longer just concerned about ourselves. Right. But the gospel is not just concerned about I want, how, do I, how do I get everything I want out of this life and everything I want out of this world. Jesus says, I am that everything that you would ever want. Mm-hmm. But once you know me, now you, you go out and you create opportunities to create healing for people who are broken. Mm-hmm. And yet, if we're still tied up in this gospel of I just want to be happy and healthy and everything good. You just can't follow Jesus and that be your focus. But if you are choosing to follow Christ, you, the, this is the time that the church has to decide, okay, we are going to be the real church. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, it's going to cost, it's going to cost you something. Mm-hmm. He told his disciples, it's going to cost your life. Mm-hmm. Is it going to cost us to lose friends? Is it going to cost us to, to lose uh, church friends? Is it going to cost some churches to not talk to us again? Is it going to, what, what's it going to cost? It, he told the disciples, this is going to cost you your life. Mm. And yet that is, a, that is an uncomfortable reality that we don't want to be around. But I am so encouraged, and Leslie, I see your hand. Uh, I'm so encouraged by the 50 or 60 folks that Kingdom Partners is working with that we are proud to be a part of. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm ex- I, and I'm excited to see where that continues to go. So let's do it. One more question. Are there, and then if you've got any sure. questions there. All right, so for, for those who are watching, Leslie is part of our worship team and is in, in the room with us. She's asking, if, if, if a person of color walks into a room full of white people, how does a white person say, I'm a safe person for you? That's what, correct? That's the question you're asking? Who wants to answer that? That's very complicated. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you, just, you just go up and say, hi, how you doing? It's my, my name is such and such. Uh, ask them about their family or whatever, and that warms it up. I mean, so it's really not that complicated. It's it's more of you talk to the person and get to know some, ask some open ended questions. It seems complicated, but it's really not. Yeah, yeah. But just say, just say hi to them. Just say hi. Yeah. Well, I think. Yeah. Just so so you if if a situation doesn't seem healthy for a a a person and you want to help them, I yeah I think that maybe that's a different maybe that's a different question. I I know I've I've had enough conversation with Oliver that there and and it's also this is what Pam has said. There is just a point where we remove the whole piece of color mm-hmm. and we just say, hey, like we would with anybody else. Rather than making it a racial statement, making, and, and if I misspeak, correct me, just more a human statement. Mm-hmm. Just kind of a human statement. Now, maybe in the, your question of, so, so let's say you're in a situation and there are some not friendly people in the room. You know, in other words, are you are you basically asking if? So if it's not, how, how do I stick up for you in a in a in a, um, in a tense room? Is that kind of your second part of your question? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Is there a does anybody want to there, respond there, to that? There, there, there are no real golden rules. I, I think that we all decide based on what we read in the situation what it is that we should do. And it's basically about our own internal uh, character. Let's just say it that way. We've we've got some habits that make up our character our own internal character, 
will tell us what it is we're going to do. Now, I didn't say it could be a bad thing. It could be a good thing. But we have that character. And and we actually operate on that character. And we will go and help a person who needs help, not because we say it's because we knew he needed help. No, our character took over and took us over there to help that person. We helped that man that fell off the stage there because it's in us to help him. In other people, it's not in the to help them. It's, it's just not, they can't reach and do that. So I think that we all have some good in us, and I tell everybody, we all have some good in us. Even the worst person you think you know will save somebody at some point in time. And I just think that you have to work on your own character. Don't complicate the situation, as Oliver would say. Make it simple. I mean, <clears throat> traveling around the world, I don't. I didn't know anybody. I mean, I was in, where, where was I? I was in uh, Taiwan. And uh, there are two airports in Taiwan, but I didn't know that. And I kept looking at my ticket, looking at the screen, looking at my ticket. And a lady came over to me and she says, let me, let me help you. You know, she could speak English. I couldn't speak Taiwanese. She looked at the ticket and she says, you need to be at the other airport. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what other airport? She says, the national airport. She took me to the bus. Where I could catch is a direct bus that goes from one to the other. And to make the long story short, I got there on time. Now, when I'm in Atlanta and I catch people who don't, they're not familiar with the airport, they look like they're lost, I reach out. And it doesn't make any difference whether they look rich or poor. I reach out. And if I've got time, I will take them to their concourse. I will take them to their gate. If I don't have the time, I do the best I can. My, my point is you have a, you, in, inside of you, you, you have a, something that initiates a, a response that happens to be built into your character. And if you've got good habits in there, you will use those good habits. If you've got bad habits... Uh, and you find out the other person who's getting ready, you just move on, you know. I mean, yeah. because that can happen too. But it's not a complicated situation. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's pretty. It's, it's really, it's really no different than when somebody comes into this church on a Sunday morning. Yeah. It's the same situation, and we're all bad about that. You need to be able to come out of your shell for those of us that are introverted, and just enough to say, "Hey, how you doing? How you Can doing? I help you with something? Yeah. I, I'm glad to see you today." Mm-hmm. And and really, I think we do overcomplicate it sometimes. Yeah. If you if you if you're an introvert and you don't want to talk very long, just just say hello and move on. Yeah. That's comforting. Yeah. That's comforting to people. Yeah. You know, just you saying how Just a smile. Yeah, just a smile. I am an introvert, by the way. It's tough for me to go up to somebody and talk to them. But I think we got to get to the point, and I was uh, asked by Dr. Uh, Alveda King to write a piece to introduce a brand-new book. It's called Colorblind. And she wrote that book to be able to break down barriers I mean, the most segregated hour in America is when? 
Sunday mornings. That's it. You know, I, I had had the opportunity based on an invitation by the Richmonds to join them at church. And I could tell you, I was definitely not in the majority in the church, but I did not care. Once we, I heard the message, the music, the love of people coming up and hug me. Because I, I get nervous in a white church, in a black church, in a, <laughs> you, you say whichever kind, you know, in Spanish. But the fact that people came up and hugged my neck and told me they loved me. Absolutely. Why can't we get to that every single day of the week? Yeah. You know, that is where we really, we, again, get away from the focus of the differences. We were created in the image of God Almighty. I can't imagine him sitting in heaven just shaking his head and, and saying, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, yeah. All right. So we're going to have to wrap up. Uh, we, we, need, we need to have another conversation. Oh, absolutely. These never, we never go as far as we want to go in these conversations. And so we will, um, let's, let's do this. Um, any final, does anybody have any, let's just, let's just go, let's do this. Final comment will be this. A person's interested in making progress in this area. They don't know how to start. A lot of these comments I think are helpful to kind of demystify. How do I become a person who is helping encourage reconciliation between people? But, Let's say a person is watching this, and you want to give them maybe one or two things for them to move, mm-hmm. keep moving in this direction. Very Whatever sad. it is, what is it? <coughs> Stay out of the counsel of the ungodly. Mm. Amen. Mm. Stay out of the counsel. That's, that's powerful. Very yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I can top that. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> but I, that's I do. There's a mic drop right yeah. there. That's intense. Let me yeah. say one quick item here because it's gotten brought up under past about police. Every time a bubble goes on behind me as a police car approaches my car, my stomach goes into knots, even if I'm innocent. <laughs> okay. I, I will share with you, I've taught my children and now my grandchildren how to respect the officer that comes to their car. I've had a gun pulled on me by two policemen in the past. Okay, once because I had a black man in Pennsylvania in my car. Okay? The fact is we are all susceptible to bad people. It's a very small minority on the police force. They go out every single day to do their job. They don't know their families if they're coming back. Mm -hmm. We all share a, 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 the fact that somebody can pull a gun and end our life, or a ch- worse than that, one of our children's lives or grandkids' lives tomorrow. It could be a police officer. It could be a violent uh, uh, individual on the street. The fact is we are all flesh and blood. We all bleed the same, and we all hurt when people hurt. Yeah. Um, you want to get a comment from Pete, too, while we're around the room? Go ahead and get Pete in there. I would emphasize the we over me and figure out what that actually means. We need to educate ourselves on all the way that we've become a self-centered society. And yes, it's acquisition of wealth, but it's also acquisition of power and it's isolating ourselves from people who may not look or sound like me. Uh, So 
until we become more focused on the we versus the me, we're going to have these problems. Thank you. Um, I think for me, one of the things that is is big is what I've learned from you guys is reaching out, and, and that was kind of the study, the, the topic of the Bible study we kind of all came together around was, you know, the neighbor that doesn't look like you and how to love them. And there is absolutely no way we can love someone that doesn't look like us without getting to know them. Yeah. You know, I, you know with, with, with you guys here on stage, with uh, Pastor Marcellus, Pastor Troy, those conversations, I learned things that I never knew about. Mm-hmm. Their communities, their churches, all of those things. And I think we have to be very intentional about making those relationships. It's easy to make relationships with somebody that looks like you, believes like you, has the same political views as you. But when you step outside that comfort zone, that's when you start to grow. I'm going to defer over to Pam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Um, I think Mr. Jefferson, we could have dropped the mic on that. Um, because, you know, we do have to stay away from the wicked. And um, like 1 John 4 says, if anyone says that he loves God and he hates his brother, the Bible says he's a liar. And so I was looking at the scriptures, and there's like 11 different scriptures about race. And so the Bible says we perish for the lack of knowledge. And so we have to seek really what this word is talking about. And it's not, we're not separate. When When we go to heaven, we're going to heaven as one. And I want to be in that one. And so we have to change our ways in order to be a part of the family that God's coming back to get. All right. So, Oliver, we'll give you the last word here um, as the the boss man on the stage. I gave that to Pam. (laughs) 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 He's not going to give any. Okay. Let me say this. Um, Thank you all for joining us. We thank Pete for joining us remotely. journey we're going to continue to have these conversations and we are going to continue to be a part of building relationships with people who are different from us who worship different from us who who look different from us it's it's part of the the beautiful creativity and diversity of what god how he has created us and uh and so i'm excited this even that we've spent four weeks talking uh, we're still scratching the surface oh, yeah. it feels like uh, until we're um, until we are regularly uh, intertwining our lives with each other in some form or fashion, we're going to continue to scratch the surface. And so I'm looking forward to that happening. I'm looking forward to unpacking more of what we've um, been talking about. And we are very thankful for the for what you do, for what you're both doing at Kingdom Partners and Jefferson, for the for for Steve and Pete coming alongside of them, for all the churches and other partners that have come alongside in this conversation. We do believe and have for some time that this there is something happening here mm-hmm. right now. This is not by accident. Mm-hmm. And the role that you're playing in our community, while it's becoming more public, uh, has been very quiet behind the scenes, but it has been creating a powerful opportunity for the gospel to be lived out in, in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. Your work in your sacrifices, the time that you're putting into this, uh, we see it. Mm-hmm. We're appreciative of it, and it is making a difference in our church, in other churches, and in our city, and I believe it's going to continue to do that. So we're, we're thankful to, um, to have you as partners and friends, 
and we're looking forward to more opportunities to spend time together as as those opportunities become available, uh, you know. I don't know when that will be, in the next year or two, whenever there's a vaccine, whatever. I don't know. Hopefully before then. Your hospitality has been outstanding. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And more well, to come. And more yeah. to come. And more to come, yeah. All right. I want to pray for you all. Any, any last words from you, Scott? I, just I was just sitting here thinking – I think my prayer for all of us as a group, as we have said that Jesus is the focus of all this, that we need to be as bold in our witness about Jesus as we are in our stance against racism and things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we kind of, you can speak publicly about racism. There are people that are going to support that. Not so many people support being bold about Jesus, and we need to keep that in mind. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. Um, I want to pray for you all, and then we're going to end. Thank you for joining us. Um, We are going to pull these two halves together. And we'll put out the full video again later. Father, God, I thank you for all of the men and women that are represented here. I thank you for their wisdom. I thank you for the way that they love, uh, even when it's difficult to love. Uh, Father, I pray for the leadership of Kingdom Partners. Uh, You are doing incredible things through them, demonstrating what does it mean to truly love our neighbors. And so, Father, I do pray for wisdom. As they continue to move forward, I pray for long-suffering because relationships with others, especially other pastors, can be difficult at times. And, uh, Father, I pray for your blessings upon them that they would have an overwhelming sense that, that they are doing your work and your will, that you are pleased with the work that is happening with Kingdom Partners. Father, I pray that you will bring others alongside that we will see a a revival break out among the churches in Chattanooga, and it will spread from this part out. Lord, I do pray that we will have a coming together. If nowhere else in the world within the church, that no matter what color skin you have, no matter what background you come from, no matter what socioeconomic status that you find yourself in at the moment, that we are brothers and sisters, we are one family, and we are going to be spending an eternity together with you in heaven. And so, Father, bring us together, do, do a work within us, and let it spread out and create new opportunities for freedom and reconciliation for all those that we come in contact with. We thank you for your love, and all this is possible, we know, only because of your grace, your mercy, and because of Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll see Amen. you next week. Yeah. And uh, thank you all again for being with us. Uh, next week, we're starting a new series called Jesus is Essential. And we're going to be looking at the essentials of our faith and what does it look like for Jesus to be the center of that. Have a great